0: You would take the cells from the patient, reprogram them to induce the pluripotent stem cells. Then you can actually gene edit those cells and then differentiate them to the original tissue. And then you can actually print the medical device with these cells with the right to biomaterials.
1: Welcome to It's a Material World, the show that uncovers why material science will change the world with your hosts, David Yeh and Punithu Patia. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention that we have material science merchandise for those who want to support us or simply express your passion for MSE. So check out the designs, visit itsamaterialworldpodcast.com forward slash shop or click the link in the description. Hello, everyone. We're super excited to welcome today's guest, Dr. Ethadel Namro-Redwan onto the show. She is the chief scientific officer and director of bioink and tissue engineering R&D at Cellink, which is a bioink company that aims to revolutionize 3D bioprinting for pharmaceuticals and drug development. There is massive potential in this field, so we definitely have a lot to discuss today. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Well, thank you for inviting me. And I'm super excited to be part of your show today and hopefully inspire some people. Of
2: course. So I guess let's start at ground zero. What exactly is 3D bioprinting and how does it differ from traditional 3D printing?
0: Yeah, so bioprinting is an additive manufacturing process similar to 3D printing. But instead of printing with plastics, we're actually printing with cells and biomaterials. And we are trying to create organ-like tissue structures. And uh, so we let the cells live in the material and we try to mimic the native tissue as much as possible.
1: So what kind of materials are used? Because you mentioned plastics are used in traditional 3D printing techniques, but I still believe there's like biopolymers potentially, right, with, within 3D bioprinting?
0: Absolutely. So I mean, what we try to do, of course, to be able to print hydrogels and biomaterials, you need the polymer part of it. And we, of course, get a lot of inspiration from nature. So many of the traditional hydrogels uh, comprise of collagen, gelatin, alternate even. But also in the end of the day, what we try to do is we mimic the native environment by inspiration of the native tissue. So maybe by having collagen, we try to mix in ECM components within that hydrogel to mimic uh, the native environment.
2: Interesting. And so when you bioprint, I think we're all familiar with what 3D printing looks like. You extrude plastic uh, and you build up from the ground up. Uh, what does 3D bioprinting look like? Is it a similar method or does it completely revolutionize like how we would think of 3D printing?
0: No, I mean, this is why it's an additive manufacturing approach. It is very similar. The big difference here is that we are building a tissue construct layer by layer. I mean, if you look at the concept, it actually starts exactly the same way. When a scientist wants to bioprint, they actually need the G code or the STL file, which is the computer map that tells the bioprinter, this is what you need to print, where, how much, how fast, and what in what position. So it follows the same theory. However, with bioprinting, you're actually mixing cells with a biomaterial that is printable, and you're able to print, literally print, layer by layer living cells.
1: I'm super curious about how those two are integrated, but we'll get into that a little bit later. First, I just want to start with the applications that 3D bioprinting offers. So I know it ranges from like functional hearts, albeit not fully sized just yet, to skin for burn victims. And so I was just wondering, in your experience, what has been the most interesting or impactful application you've seen so far?
0: (sighs) Wow, you know, that's a tough question. (laughs) And of course, there are many, many favorite applications, but I do believe that the ones that directly help to contribute to the future of health uh, are my favorite ones. For example, scientists within the field know that vascularizing large tissues is still very tricky to achieve. And using bioprinting, we can actually incorporate channels to provide the core of tissue with oxygen and nutrients, as well as, you know, remove waste products. These more advanced 3D bioprinted models um, with, let's say, complex vascularized tissues will actually be useful for A, minimizing animal models in clinical trials Two, they can actually help scientists to understand human diseases. And in addition to that, they can be used for drug screening purposes. So using bioprinted models, you can actually contribute to very different application areas. And I think anything that helps advancing the future of health or treating human diseases is what's really important to me. Uh, something uh, something that I think is also very important in addition to minimizing animals in clinical trials, I think personalized medicine we know that we treat people in the same way. If you go to a doctor, you get a diagnosis with a specific disease, then you get the same treatment as a patient with the same disease, maybe in other areas of the world. We know our genetic background. Um, you know, gives us a, let's say, a differentiation in how we respond to drugs. So personalized medicine will actually allow us to derive the drug, identify the drug to treat that specific patient and even identify to which dose. That's also a favorite one.
2: So the applications you just mentioned kind of had two purposes. One of them was almost re-engineering something that's already done commonly, which is like testing for cosmetic and other things like the animal test subjects could be removed that we do very commonly now. And then another one is the personalized medicine, which I think isn't uh, used very much currently. Which one of these applications do you think it's ideal for? Is it replacing what's already there or completely revolutionizing a new part of medicine?
0: This is exactly it. I mean, with more advanced models, you can actually advance how we are solving future healthcare problems. Another problem um, that I see, I'm, I'm just giving more examples rather than answer to your question. <laughs> but uh, another one is definitely the medical device industry. What if you could use the patient's own cells, print them in the appropriate material and implant them? As, for example, to a diabetic patient to treat diabetes. So you have insulin producing cells. So, I mean, I see that with more advanced technologies and, of course, the amazing scientific community getting their hands onto these scientific technologies. We can advance the way we are diagnosing and also treating diseases, but also solving future healthcare problems and today's problems as well.
1: I'm working in the medical device industry right now. So the the last part that you mentioned about just like insulin producing cells was super fascinating. And it's, (laughs) there's just a lot of potential for advancement in this field, even though there are also some challenges that need to be addressed, but that's similar to any up and coming field, you know?
0: Yeah. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for you. Let's see. Where you end up in the future, Puneet.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we really wanted you to touch on that part of changing like how we think about medicine. And in a previous call, you mentioned some eye-opening statistics that kind of put into perspective exactly how much of a need there is for personalized medicine, but also just 3D printing that can solve multiple issues across the entire medical field. Uh, we would love for you to like ask us some and we can guess what the actual statistic is if you have some on the top of your head.
0: Absolutely. So this question goes to you then. How many years on average do you think it takes to bring a drug from lab bench to market?
2: Well, I I know that uh, for COVID, the vaccine came out incredibly quick. And in I think it was like one and a half years. So I, w- I would guess like seven years.
1: Yeah, yeah. Usually, that's like an exception. I feel like so. I think from what I've heard, the, the average timeline is seven years. But I would, since David already guessed that, I'll <laughs> estimate a little bit more than that and say ten years.
0: So you're closer, Puneet. Let's
1: go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it, it does. Evident, definitely, on average, take twelve years is the current uh, number. But I do have to admit, and I'm very, very proud of the everyone who was behind the COVID vaccine, but definitely it has to do with the amount of effort everyone put in in that same research topic. Of course, it's going to be faster at that point. Can you guess how many lives are lost every day waiting for an organ uh, in the transplantation queue?
1: Mm, My guess is uh,
2: 20. Uh, following Prunice' method, I'll guess twenty-five this time.
0: Oh no, David! <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh no! So it is actually twenty-one. Um, wow. But I mean, the way it's expressed is that you know one life is lost almost every hour. Oh wow! Wow. Uh, waiting in the queue, and I have to. I was touched actually by a message I got on my social media channel from an actual organ transplantation patient who just like begged me to work harder and faster because he didn't have that long. Uh, I mean, left according to uh, statistics. It is known that after receiving organs, transplanted organs, even though your life is extended, but it's still there's still a You know, limit of how long that organ can support you. So, yeah, one every hour—that's quite a lot.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. I remember doing like a project on 3D bioprinting and this this idea of providing organs for those who are on the waiting list because. There's just so many people who are on a waiting list and it's so hard to be next on. So it's definitely a very powerful story that you just mentioned. And I hope we can continue to make advancements in this space.
0: I hope so, too. Definitely.
1: Just from the BioInk's perspective, what properties are desired in order to be an effective material for 3D bioprinting?
0: Definitely the ling- list is long. And I know that people who are in the field might think a lot of, a lot differently. But if I'm going to focus on keeping it quite general and not go into depth, and then I would say it's important for a bioink to have beneficial printing properties. So you need to be able to print it. And you also need the bioink to have the ability to protect the cells during the printing process. In addition to that, you need to provide the cells with the appropriate environment to behave as they would in the native environment. Another thing that's also very important is for the bioink to be able to retain its shape post the printing process. Uh, And of course, this can vary depending on application, from application to application.
2: And so when you print living cells, I've done a little bit of research and it looks like the cells would replicate and actually grow. How is that aspect of bioinks thought of when printing organs or basically anything with bio ink?
0: So, I mean, uh, this, the design of a bio-ink is, I would say, it's a work of a very interdisciplinary team. And I, I'm very, very fortunate to have amazing individuals on the team and with an amazing knowledge in within the field. So you actually whenever you have a bioink development project you actually have a list of many questions that you need to answer. And one of those is what is the environment we're going to mimic? Which tissue type is it? What is the function of the cells in the, that environment? And the list goes on. So the process is quite complex. So for example, you have to start by understanding the microenvironment that you intend to mimic. Next, you need to understand the cross-linking method you intend to use because it's very important to mimic the stiffness of the target tissue. We know that the mechanical properties of the tissue you're actually mimicking serve as a function. For example, the stiffness of bone compared to the stiffness of brain, that's a huge uh, area. So you need to mimic that. Keeping the shape after the printing is also very, very important. And this is something that you can change with thickeners and by changing the composition of the physical parameters during the printing process. Another thing is you need to Define for how long you want the bio ink to remain stable in culture. How long are you running a drug screening process where you only need the model for a week? That requires a different cross-linking method compared to having a culture that you want to grow for, let's say, three months plus. I think the last but not least, something you need to define in early on is whether the ink you're developing is intended to be applied in clinical applications in in future, or be a translational ink, as we call it, because then you start in your design, consider GMP uh, compliance and how you can get there in the future. And as you can see with all of these properties, uh, developing an ink is a trial and error process, but we learn from every error we do make. And this is really what we do here. And I have to add that you need amazing end users uh, to evaluate the ink to also give you feedback.
1: Wow, yeah, I was just about to ask you, it seems like if there is an extensive list of requirements for properties, there might not be enough materials right now to you know achieve all of those applications. So I was just wondering, you know what are common materials used in this space right now that at least can meet um, some of those requirements.
0: I would say that every tissue type requires a very, very careful thought process behind it when you're defining the ink, or let's say designing your bio ink, so to say. I mean, many of the very, very common materials, of course, I'm going to brag about our patented cellulose as a base because it's a sustainable material coming from wood and, you know, the um, nature. But um, some of the very, very common materials being used today are gelma, or let's say methacrylated gelatin, and the colma, which is methacrylated collagen. But alginate is also uh, very, very commonly used. The field has exploded recently, and that's least to say. And there are some synthetic, semi-synthetic, but also natural polymers being used.
2: I guess going more into detail about an application you mentioned earlier was bioprinting of cancer tissue models would add that personalized medicine aspect where we could test individual drug trials on the cells in your body without actually harming the actual patient if the uh, test wouldn't go well. How far away are we from this level of personalized medicine and how can we help the development of biomaterials to get to that
0: point? So to be very honest, I mean, I do have a lot of collaborators uh, worldwide uh, working on this, and there is a lot of research ongoing in in many, many labs. I do believe that we have advanced very much in this application area to the point where it soon will be applied for diagnostics, but also for identifying appropriate patient-specific drugs. So biomaterial scientists are using a very different approach here. And the most common is using biomaterial designed, intended to mimic the diseased environment. For example, you can use ECM components to replicate an ECM environment of a cancer tumor.
1: Real quick, what does ECM stand for?
0: Extracellular matrix. For us, the ECM is something we say every day, but definitely, I mean, the extracellular matrix is definitely a very, very important part and plays a very, very important role in the cell-to-cell interaction, cell-to-cell communication, and even disease progression. Uh, So biomaterial sciences, I mean, we do get inspiration from nature and the extracellular matrix is part of the diseased organ.
2: Yeah. So I guess finishing up on the question I asked was, how far away are we and what big steps need to be taken to have this uh, practice be used in basically all cancer patients or all diagnostic?
0: So I think at R&D phase, we have shown uh, that it's feasible. And I've also talked to Research institutions, which is the next step from the academic science lab, who are trying to implement it uh, translationally in clinic. I would say it's starting to come there. We will see it in the coming year, years, maybe. What would make it available for everyone is the cost. Uh, of course and i'm I'm hoping we are a company that that really wants to demo- democratize the industry, so we are famous for working with collaborators a customers to providing our technology and make it available everywhere. But if you can look at this treatment or maybe this personalized medicine area, what it would require for finding a treatment for a very specific patient, it would require you take that patient, take a biopsy culture the cells in vitro, expand them, and then you actually bioprint them, perform the drug screening in certain replicates. And then you actually, once you've identified the appropriate drug, you need to identify the dose. I don't think, uh, I mean, it is a costful process still. So um, I think privileged countries will implement it earlier than less privileged countries, to be very honest, Uh, but it's close.
2: So I guess we talked about this before, but you introduced the idea that cancer and sometimes diseases are all cast under a very broad range of a name. And so each individual person experiences cancer in a different way. So can you kind of explain a little more and maybe expand on that idea of why personalized medicine would be so revolutionary?
0: Yeah, I think instead of experimenting with the patient, I can give you, I mean, cancer is one of the... I would say application areas that has advanced the fastest within the personalized medicine. I mean, you you get a cancer patient, not only do they get diagnosed with cancer, but then there is, of course, uh, we have a lot of experience and knowledge and know-how within cancer and the, the doctors, they are doing, you know, a lot, but still there's a lot of work being done where you have to experiment on which drug to use to treat the patient. You might have to remove the tumor, then treat them with laser, then figure out which treatment to use after that. What if you could already, at the stage of taking a biopsy to identify whether it's cancer or not, immediately start growing those cells and then identify the right drug from the first go? You wouldn't put the patient through the trauma of, you know, not knowing whether they would respond to the treatment or not. And of course that would also help us put those patients on the right medications faster. So, I mean, it's all about saving lives. You're saving lives by putting them on the right treatment on the right dose from start.
1: Okay. This just came to mind, but it seems like Data science or AI or ML could potentially be incorporated into like that diagnostic assessment. Is that something that is being worked on right now in this industry?
0: Absolutely. The entire workflow is being automated and and made very, very, very intelligent. Of course, this is the way we need to work. We need to be faster. And this is part of uh, bioconvergence you know, bioconvergence is the combination of advanced cell biology with artificial intelligence engineering to advance uh, the future of health and future of medicine.
1: Awesome. So we talked a little bit about this. You mentioned even there's different cancer types that could lead to more personalized treatments. And then also there's just a variety of structures in the biological space from hearts to skin tissue. So I was just wondering, you know, you talked about the trial and error process, but can you go into maybe a little bit more detail of like the material selection process, how those requirements are defined for each type of biological structure?
0: So the biological requirements are definitely defined or identified through inspiration from nature and the native tissue. So let's say you want to create the bioink for um, a vascularized, like let's say endothelial cells, which are the cells which makes up our vascular network. Naturally, you're gonna look at that specific environment and see what are the molecules expressed uh, within that area, which factors which biological factors and then you get inspiration from that and then I mean you might start by having a few bioing prototypes that you evaluate functionally so you you make a few bioing prototypes then you go to the lab you print the tissue model you want to mimic and then you test which prototype provided the most functional tissue so it's it's a, it it is a lot of trial and error but uh, ultimately you're trying to mimic uh, the native environments from a functionality perspective super important and and also from a biological perspective.
2: And so from that perspective of so much trial and error I guess there could be multiple areas of improvement within that. It could be uh, the processing time, so faster printing, or be- maybe using AI to have better selection. Where do you see the most growth potential to be able to uh, get better at this material selection or other like selection issues?
0: Definitely incorporating imaging and AI for analysis. AI for imaging, first of all, but also the analysis part. So, I mean, don't forget that it's a long way after you've printed and matured your tissue. It's a long way until you can actually get the answers to, does this express the right markers? Does it express the required proteins? If we could automate that and also have a component where you can actually get the data analysis, everything done in the same workflow. Uh, that's going to be an advancement and I think um, yeah we're not uh, sitting and waiting for someone else to do it definitely this is something we we are working on without saying too much.
2: I remember reading an article about the first fully functional 3D bioprinted heart. However, it was only the size of a rabbit's foot at the time. The concepts of smaller constructs today, building up to a full size construct in the future, seems to be how the field is trending on how to build upon itself. What are the limitations that we face that don't allow us to just print fully functioning human organs at
0: this point? So I will mention a few limitations that I think are holding us back from the dream of getting organs transplanted into humans and, you know, for this dream to become a reality. I think the appropriate and FDA compliant materials is one of the problems. And we know that that process is very, very long, but, you know, that is one of the hurdles we need to overcome. Also, the production of larger organs with appropriate vasculature uh, that can bring oxygen and nutrients to the cells and even you know bring waste products out of the tissue model that is also a challenge but of course there's a lot of work ongoing within that field uh, producing multicellular models with uh, the same complex architecture as the human organ I mean don't remember you're not only need to place these cells but they also need to function the right way so printing you get inspiration you place them next to each other but there's they need to function the same way so it is a complex process we want to mimic but I think the right steps are being taken with from by the industry and by the scientists out there to get there
1: So you mentioned this a few times before, and it's something that I read in the past, but why exactly is like vascularization such a prominent challenge in the space? Like, is it very difficult to mimic and create like a system that mimics this in in the body?
0: I mean, if you look at our organs, I mean, they are really made up of a very very I would say impressive network of vasculature Uh, but they're also made up of many many million 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 of cells and every cell needs to get nutrients and also remove waste products so it's it's very very advanced and that is what we need to mimic Uh, and of course the time it takes to print that network and make sure it matures and every, every single cell gets nutrients and oxygen, that is the complexity. So I think it's underestimated how complex the human physiology is, but it is a very, very complex system we are trying to mimic.
2: And so I know it took like hundreds of years to fully understand what was in the human body. And I'm sure that we haven't discovered everything yet. So when you're trying to mimic it, Do you think currently there's more learning to be done about how exactly the human body works or is it more just more R&D needs to be done to understand how we can mimic it and have the same relationship between cells that we just print versus things that are in our body?
0: I think we understand the human body quite well. I would say not fully. And then we will continue to learn from nature and how we are made uh, up as humans. So I wouldn't say we know it all yet. That's a continuous process of, of expanding our knowledge. And yes, the answer is correct. Uh, we need to learn how to mimic what we already know and how to recreate it without losing the functionality. It makes no sense. Printing something that is not functional for the sake of it, it needs to serve as functional tissue model, either for drug screening purposes, it needs to replicate the diseased model or for regenerative purposes to replace, let's say, diseased organ or tissue type.
1: So a follow-up question then with regards to those challenges, what are your biomaterial scientists doing currently? Like, are they working on materials development? Are they just trying to improve existing materials in the space? What's going on there?
0: Without, of course, going into too much confidential details, <laughs> uh, We are yeah. constantly improving existing materials and constantly looking into what are the next materials that's got to be the future. Uh, this is, I mean, the work never ends. We learn every day from our trials and errors and those errors needs to be implemented. Uh, so I do have an amazing R&D team uh, working on biomaterial development full-time. And and all they do is further develop, improve and develop new ones, characterize, evaluate and going back. It's like a never ending circle for them. <laughs> That's
1: awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you all come up with next. And that kind of leads us into this next question. What are the next steps for Cellink and the bioprinting industry as a whole? Like, where is there that room for further advancement?
0: I mean we as a company we belong to the Bico group. Uh, the Bico group is now a bigger family and we have we are very fortunate to have 11 sister companies. All of the companies within the Bico Group offer technologies, products, and services in various application areas related to advancing the future of health, you know, sticking to our mission and vision. And for us at Cellink, we will continue to listen to our customers, listen to their challenges, to provide them with the solutions they need. And since we do have 11 Other companies in the family, we can have access to very, very advanced technologies, including imaging, single cell sorting, genomics, all the omics field, even in industrial applications. So we are very, very fortunate to having access to that. My team are focused on always providing the latest technologies, reagents and materials to advance. Uh, the science within the bioprinting industry. And I have to say, uh, we are very proud, but also very, very humble about the fact that CellLink is the industry leader within the field of bioprinting. And it's all thanks to our amazing customers.
2: So one application that I'm curious about is that when you're building upon mimicking a human structure, has it been thoroughly examined, or is it in the horizon about taking your cells and then modifying them slightly, such as when we were talking about insulin before, could we take part of their liver and then modify it so it starts producing insulin if they're type 1 diabetic?
0: Now we're into gene therapy and uh, CRISPR-Cas9. And I mean, of course, the very, very amazing system that received the Nobel Prize, It's uh, not still very, very implemented in the personalized medicine field, I would say. And it's still what would be required would be that you would take the cells from the patient. Let's say you would take some cells, you would reprogram them to induced pluripotent stem cells, which are the stem cells uh, that you can get from adult cells from a patient. Then you can actually gene edit those cells and then differentiate them to the original tissue that you wanted to create. For example, beta cells that can produce insulin. Uh, and then you can actually print the medical device with these cells with the right of biomaterials and use them as a biomedical device for treating that patient. But I mean, there are many things that uh, still needs to be corrected and we need to identify the right uh, compliances and, and all of that, number one. CRISPR-Cas9 for editing cells, what happens in the human. Number two, do we have the right materials and so on.
1: And so you mentioned the BICO group, I believe that stands for bioconvergence, right? Correct. And so I was just wondering, so I can see that there is that common vision of changing the world of healthcare and saving patient lives. I was just wondering, just from the general standpoint, how do you plan on like working and collaborating with each of the other companies in that group while also just being able to focus on your own growth as a company?
0: There are many, many reasons why we are all in the same company. There is a fine line and red line being here. We all work with the same sector of health and there are so many roads crossing. Like I can be working on a, on a challenge in my lab and I you know, by having access to many other companies, you could just, you know, through the scientists in other companies, put in a question in a chat saying, hey, does, has anyone worked with this cell type or has anyone worked with this application? And you get direct experience from other people in other companies. Next, the technologies we have in the BICO family, it, it makes so much sense because we've listen to the customer to build the BICO group we've actually looked at what is the customer what is it that the collaborators the customer wants to do there well they have a research question they want to find the answer to it at an R&;D level and then they want to step it up and then they go to a slightly translational level and then they are ready to apply it clinically and that's where we have the industrial sciences so we can actually take that journey with our customer just because we're in the BICO group, because we provide the instruments for R&D, for mid-stage science, and also industrial applications. By the way, that's a business area within the BICO group. That's why, uh, so there is a very, very well thought through red thread in every acquisition that has led to the BICO group.
2: Another question I had about the future of 3D bioprinting is that Well, you talked before about how a transplant organ has a lifetime and it won't last forever like our own organs. In comparison, I'm sure it's not anywhere close currently, but in the future, do you think 3D bioprinting, the organs will be able to last just as long as the original organ that's being replaced? Or do you think it will have to be replaced on a a basis uh, such as like 10 years or 20 years?
0: Uh, Well, this is something we will have to learn. I would say we don't have the answers to that yet. I'm hoping that, uh, of course, uh, we can get a longer lifespan for the patients. But this is only a wish. And of course, I'm, I'm hoping that if you have the right materials and the healthy cells put in there, that we can do it. But, you know, this is something that time only time will tell.
2: And I'm, I'm sure even if you do have to get it replaced, just ha- being able to have such a personalized medicine, it would be easier and it can be printed on demand. But yeah, we discussed several different applications of 3D bioprinting today and how the development of biomaterials and bioinks are key to making advancements in this type of medicine. It's clear that 3D bioprinting is a very revolutionary idea. That could completely change how we do treatment in medicine. So what advice would you give for material scientists who want to pursue a career in this industry?
0: I have to admit that I'm personally very, very passionate about this area because we can actually make a difference. Every day we are in the lab, we do make a difference because every advancement we do in the biomaterials will actually help us learn. To understand what it takes to make take the next steps to bring it to clinic. It is an interesting and very exciting field. It's definitely an area that has a large potential to impact the future of health. And if you're specifically looking to work in the field of 3D bioprinting, learning about biomaterials and tissue engineering and 3D cell culture is definitely a good idea maybe studying biomedical engineering and performing internship at companies or labs who has bioprinting as, as their core application. And uh, that's the advice I can, I can give.
1: That's great. Actionable advice. So we really appreciate that. And we appreciate you coming onto the show today. Ifidel. It was a pleasure having you and I definitely learned a lot and I'm, I feel super inspired and I can't wait to see what Cellink does next.
0: Well, thank you. The pleasure is definitely on my side. Uh, And I'm hopefully looking forward uh, to meet you in real life, hopefully, if if that ever happens again.
1: (laughs) I'll cross my fingers. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the It's a Material World podcast. If you enjoyed the show, consider subscribing on your favorite podcast app so you never miss another episode. If you'd like to meet other passionate material scientists and discuss all things mse join our discord community using the link in the show notes below if you want to support us and the growth of this podcast or just show off your love for material science visit our shop at itsamaterialworldpodcast.com forward slash shop or by using the link in the show notes if you have any feedback we would love to hear it We want to grow this show with our community's input, so you can message us via email or any of our social media platforms, and those links will also be provided. We'll see you soon, and in the meantime, go change the world.